Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. How interesting and how significant that on the very first Sunday following the great and Queen of Feasts, Pascha, the Church places us face to face with doubt. Honestly, facing the doubt in this instance of the Holy Apostle Thomas, who we know is a rather outspoken sort of guy. He's the one who said, when Christ wanted to go up to Jerusalem, when the Jewish leadership was hunting for him and threatening his life, well, let us go up and die with him. So there's no question about the courage or the bravery of the Holy Apostle Thomas. In the West, we call him Doubting Thomas. But of course, on the basis of this Gospel, in the Orthodox Church, he is known as Thomas Pistos, Faithful Thomas. Because, of course, through his doubt, he came to that great faith and confessed that our Lord and Savior is God. So it was a great thing. But what's going on? In the Gospel today, there are two comings of Christ. He comes the first time, and it says he showed them his hands and his feet. So, it isn't that our Savior is kind of shy about showing the wounds that he suffered from the execution on the cross, which, as we all know, is a horrible and uh, excruciatingly painful and slow death. So that wasn't the problem. He showed them to them. But then these apostles who have seen him and have seen the wounds that were inflicted on him during his execution meet Thomas, who wasn't there that first time, and they say, we've seen the Lord. And then Thomas, in his... <laughs> well, we know Thomas. In his way, he says, Ah, unless I see, unless I touch, unless I feel, I will not believe. So, he's not going to believe until he verifies it for himself. And the second time Christ comes to the Holy Apostles, and Thomas is with them. It's not that he is separated himself from the band of the apostles, it's just that he wasn't there the first time. Now, the Gospel goes into just a little detail, it just glances in the direction of a few things, which are rather large. First of all, the apostles are hiding out, <laughs> because the high priests, of course, have executed Christ, as far as they're concerned, and uh, so his, anyone who keeps following him is a criminal. So you can get yourself into big trouble if you uh, flaunt in the faces of the authorities uh, your uh, allegiance to the Savior. So they're behind a door, which we know, because we know what doors were like, was a heavy wooden door, and it was bolted. And Christ enters through the door the bolted door. And what's interesting about this is that, of course, you can touch him, you can feel him, you can, you know, eat with him. Later on, they'll eat with him in Capernaum. But uh, also, at the same time, the atomic structure of the resurrected body is different from ours. It has weight and density, 
But when it wants to, it can pass through a heavy wooden door, probably made out of oak. So, it's interesting. The Gospel doesn't make anything of that. It just says that that's what happened. But it's interesting. So now, our Savior comes, and uh, Thomas is there, and he knows what's going on. He knows everything. So he says, hey, Thomas, (laughs) come on. Put your finger where the wounds are. You won't believe until you touch the wounds. Here, touch the wounds. And Thomas does, and he says, my Lord and my God. But then, the Savior responds to his confession of faith, his beautiful, by upbraiding him a little bit. And that is where the Gospel becomes interesting. To what standard does the Savior hold Thomas and by extension, you and me. He said, more blessed are they who have heard and believed than you who have verified by your sensory impressions, by touching and have believed. Now, what did he hear that he didn't believe? Well, he heard the report of the apostles. What they said is at the very heart, the core of what the church knows in formal language as the apostolic preaching. And what is the core of the apostolic preaching? Christ is risen from the dead, by death that he trampled down death, and upon those of the grace that he bestowed life. That's the heart of the whole matter. And Thomas didn't receive the apostolic preaching, which He should have. He should have believed when the holy apostles said to him what they saw. He should have believed on the basis of their report alone. And because he didn't, he's less blessed for insisting on having Christ come, manifest himself physically, and let him handle his wounds, touch his wounds. And then say, oh, well now I can believe. (coughs) You know, we have the saying, I'm from Missouri, show me. Because Missouri people apparently were like Thomas. They, they, They were tough people to convince of something. But what the apostles all said was what they had experienced when Christ appeared to them the first time, when Thomas wasn't there. And Christ holds Thomas to the standard of you should have believed then. You would have been more blessed than you are now for touching my wounds and verifying with your own touch, your own eyes, your own thinking brain. You would have been more uh, blessed had you just received their report. If anyone ever wonders why it is we accept the New Testament, the four Gospels, and the Book of Acts, and the Holy Epistles, and the Revelation, it is just there. Because the source is the Holy Apostles. Now we know how confused and what 
in what a deep state of confusion the holy apostles were after the crucifixion, and in fact still after the resurrection, when they were not accepting the apostolic report of the holy women who were the first to go and find the tomb empty. And they should have done that. But they didn't. And we know that the whole thing doesn't fall into place for the holy apostles until the feast of Pentecost, Pentecosti, in Greek meaning 50, 50 days after the Pascha, the resurrection. So we have these primary facts, these fundamental building blocks out of which we actually construct our own personal faith as we look at the way the church has derived her faith. But the apostles who begin as trembling, shaking, scared guys who run, with the single exception of John, the beloved disciple who stands by the cross with the Virgin Mary and some of the other myrrh-bearing women. With the exception of John, the apostles all get badly shaken. And we know that even uh, Peter, the Corypheus, in Greek the leader of the Choro, the uh, circle dance, is what it means, the, the leader of the dance, um, because of course they're doing those folk dances that we've all seen, either people doing them or we see them on television or in movies, but uh, line dancing. But uh, even Peter not only is shaken and runs, but he betrays, he denies three times. So the apostles are in not such great shape after all of these events. And even though uh, the mirror-bearing women come back to the holy apostles with the report that they found the tomb empty and saw angels there, and there's a short dialogue between the angels and them, the apostles don't know what to make of this. And if you remember on what we now call Pascha, Easter Sunday, Luke and Cleopas are walking to Emmaus, a village outside Jerusalem, and Christ appears to them and they don't even recognize him. And they don't recognize him until the breaking of the bread. In other words, when they see him in his Eucharistic function, then they know who he is. So it is a very strange and mysterious time. And the whole thing, as I said, doesn't really gel and set up for them until Pentecost and the Holy Spirit descends. Then they are preaching with power. But the heart of what they are preaching, we hear about today, which is long before Pentecost. And that heart is that Christ is risen from the dead. And they should, Thomas should, and we should, believe the report of the apostles, because it is the truth. But it is not just the truth like the sun rises in the east. There are lots of truths like this. This is the truth that saves our lives that retrieves us from the corruption of our own graves, of our own deaths, and gives us the life that was intended for us from the beginning by the Lord God, free of pain, free of arguing and uncertainty and dissatisfaction, free of all of the things that make our day not so great and our night not so great. So it is in behalf of that life, that glorified life, that life as we can only imagine it, 
this side of the grave. That is the life that is offered to us by this great truth that Christ is risen from the dead and is bestowing life on everyone. It isn't just a prolongation of our earthly life full of sorrows and misunderstandings and miscommunications and all kinds of mayhem and chaos and uncertainty. But uh, it is the life of absolute ecstatic perfection. In other terms, the life in which we are literally in union with God. What a thing. Blessed is Thomas, whose doubt issues in triumphant faith. But more blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed the apostles' preaching. Something to think about. Amen and Amen.